0: So one of the turning points was I was in school and I stood up in front of the class and I was crying, you know, just being witnessed by 150, 200 people that I've become my family. And I said, you know, I went to the doctors and they told me that I have thyroid cancer. And the teacher who had been teaching that program for 40 years, looked at me straight in the eyes and said, you do not have thyroid cancer. You've been diagnosed with thyroid cancer because when you claim that you have this thing, every cell in your body hears that and believes it to be true when you are able to step away from it and say i've been diagnosed with this what you're doing essentially is you're creating separation from this thing that you've been diagnosed with and you're actually creating space to heal and i think it was in in that moment something shifted for me and i said wow you know i really do have an opportunity
1: to heal Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men This Way. What are your addictions helping you avoid? Do you make an intimate partner responsible for your pain? Can illness and heartbreak be the best gift for you? Well, in this episode, my guest, Adam Piandis and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Adam is a very dear friend of mine, actually. He and I first met back in 2014 on a three hour road trip up the Pacific coast to a weekend men's retreat in an evergreen forest just outside of Santa Barbara. There were four guys in our car that day, including me. One guy I'll never forget because I immediately felt uncomfortable the moment we shook hands. There was just something about his presence that triggered me into distrust. I'll never forget it. Another guy in the car, I completely do not remember at all. Just nice guy, didn't leave an impression, I can't even remember him. And then there was Adam, and he and I clicked immediately. You know, maybe it's because both of us are from the East Coast, he was from Boston, still is from Boston, Uh, I'm from Maryland, and both of us have made the big leap to West Coast living we're both big basketball fans as well, and not just watching, but actually playing. But I'll tell you what really struck me the most about Adam that I would come to really admire about him in just those first few days was that he was going through an inner hell, an excruciating breakup with a woman, and he had just recently been diagnosed with cancer. And he was not pretending that everything was all right. In fact, the opposite. I'd rarely seen a man especially one from Boston, really allow himself to grieve the way that I saw Adam grieving that weekend. And in the weeks and months after, it was really a profound example of how a man can go through the grieving process, allowing himself to cry, allowing himself to feel, and how actually that was... For him, and I believe for all of us men and women too, really allowing ourselves to feel the experience fully is ironically the quickest way to actually heal from it. And that's exactly what happened for Adam. But we'll talk about that in our conversation today. You know, Adam is a wise, wise dude. I really like Adam a lot. He's a talented and successful leadership coach. He works with executives, business leaders, and corporate teams teaching the art of masterful communication among other essential leadership skills. Over the last few years, Adam and I have continued to meet every few months with a small group of brilliant visionary men where we drop in to celebrate our victories together, we share our deep struggles with each other, and we challenge each other respectfully, lovingly, firmly to confront and overcome the struggles that don't actually serve us. So I've been fortunate to watch Adam's business grow over these last, what is it, five or six years now that we've known each other. And uh, it's really amazing to see the impact that he's having on clients, companies, leaders all over the world. And in this conversation, Adam and I cover profound ground around the distractions of addiction, the depths of heartbreak, the gifts of illness, and more. So definitely stay tuned all the way through to Adam's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. And if you want to share feedback with me or or Adam or share what this conversation inspired in you, please email me directly at brian at brianreeves.com. It's brian with a Y at brianreeves.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, let's dive. Adam Piandis, my man. How are you? It's good to have you on Men This Way. Welcome
0: thanks brother brian it's uh really awesome to be here man I'm watching you put these together i've been love listening to it and uh you know excited to dive in with you today so thanks for having me
1: yeah man. you and I met uh gosh it's been about five years now yeah I think so and about five years ago two thousand and fourteen we actually we we did a road trip together that was literally our first yeah like, i don't know four hours in the car yeah I think was our first experience together up to that men 's weekend the the mankind project and you know i will never forget you were fucking going through it man yeah for sure that's putting it you were (laughs) going putting it lightly and we'll and we're going to explore that we're going to explore that but before we get there adam i want to just familiarize our listeners with you you know just to to learn a little bit about you and and well first let me just check in with you man how you feeling right now i'm
0: doing really well yeah i'm uh I'm feeling really good. I am um you know, a little busy. I'm heading out to Burning Man in a couple of days. Ooh, uh, lovely. We haven't been in seven years. So I'm I'm uh yeah. super psyched to get out there and just uh mm. have a good time. So I'm I'm doing well. You know, a little, trying to pack and get, get shit ready and make sure my is a good place, but I'm doing well. How many times have you been? You know, I it's I think it's been six times, but I haven't been in seven years. Yeah. So okay. it, it should be a little bit of a new experience. i will
1: see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, I mean, and just the amount of people that are there now. I, I The last time I went was, I think, 2013. It was my third time. Yeah. And I think at that time, we were at like 50,000 people on the playa. And yeah. now it's like 70,000. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's up there. And, I, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, and I, I turned into the guy
0: that was like, well, when I was there in 2004. Yeah. <laughs> 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 There was probably like what
1: five thousand people there.
0: Yeah. No, man, it was still—I yeah. don't know—it was still pretty massive. So,
1: yeah. Well, I am envious, man. I'm so excited to return when uh, maybe next year with with my lady who's never been. Yeah. So, dude, have a great, great time. Thanks, brother. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. You—you grew—I know you grew up in Boston. Well, what's it like having you know being from Boston and living in California?
0: Well, you know it's uh you kick the kid out but he still carries a little bit of boston with him or something whatever (laughs) however that goes but you know i've been in california since 2001 so i was in san francisco for 12 years i've been in la for about six or seven and so i think i still hold on to a little of that east coast flavor if you will or at least i try uh but but kind of adopted some of these west coast sensibilities you know just I feel really comfortable in California. I mean, it seems to be, and when I go back east, I like visiting. Yeah, and and I like connecting with some of my old peeps out there. But I, I you know, California is definitely home. And, you know, as you can probably attest to.
1: How old were you when you actually like permanently left the East Coast? Oh
0: man, I was twenty-two. Yeah. You no, know? I'm forty-five now. So, yeah. I made two stops back there, and we'll probably talk about one of them today. But. I went back for about three years early on and and then um, I came out here and, and just landed here and I just, I feel comfortable out here. And you played ball in Europe? You know, I, I so I played basketball in college yeah. and I did what they call, I had a cup of coffee in Finland. I went and played with uh with like a select small college team. Okay. Uh, and I went out there for a summer and played out in the Finnish pro leagues. Dude that's pretty fascinating. Dude 59 <laughs> <How> was that. <laughs> 59 bro. 59 bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, it was awesome. You know, basketball is a huge part of my life. I yeah. uh, What college did you go to? Did you play at? Bates College in Maine. So small okay. division division 3. Yeah. 3 school. But I ended yeah. up, you know, had a solid career in college and then I ended up coaching for about 8 years after that. Mm-hmm. Played in men's leagues. It's a huge huge part of my life.
1: Yeah. 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 You know, I can totally relate. I played intramural basketball in in college and there was a year just for whatever reason I was living in Miami, not a year. There were a number of years, a stretch of years in my kind of late twenties into my late thirties where I didn't really ever get to pick up a basketball or it just didn't Mm -hmm. happen for various reasons. And I remember the first time I got back on a court, like in my late thirties, I was giddy. Yeah. I was fucking giddy. Yeah. I felt like I was you know, eight years old again. Christmas, it just felt so good to pick up a ball again.
0: Yeah, you know, I I hear you. I think one of my challenges has been that when I take time off and I go back and play, I'm so terrible that I just mm. have, to, I have to let go of the expectations, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Go on with a smile. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I, get, I get pretty frustrated pretty quickly. But I don't play that much anymore, once in a yeah. while.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to ask you this question again to kind of bring us more into kind of the formative experiences of your life and again helping us learn more about you. It's a question I ask a lot of my guests. Tell us about a, a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man.
0: Well, man, I you know, I think a lot of experiences probably come to the surface in terms of you know, if I look at kind of my late twenties and a lot of my thirties, you know, I was pretty lost and I was a pretty big partier. And I really, you know, I leaned into partying pretty significantly to get me through life, if you will. And I'd say when about my mid to late thirties when I, And, and
1: just to clarify by partying, what do you mean exactly?
0: Oh man. I mean, I would, I was drinking pretty regularly. You know, I guess you could call it binge drinking over the weekends, and it would start on Wednesday nights and end and on Sundays, and that was, um, you know, a predominant part of my life for many, many years. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and where I didn't see it as being excessive because a lot of my friends around me were doing the same shit, right? Right. You know, looking back and and sort of in retrospect, it was you know it was pretty excessive. Yeah. And you know, and then that's coupled with dabbling in other things as well that would you know keep me in the clubs late and mm-hmm. in the early mornings and mm-hmm. i have no regrets at a great time but you know i i, I think that <laughs> yeah. uh yeah and you know i'll occasionally head out from time to time I'm, i still enjoy having a good time but it isn't part of the the formula if you will mm-hmm. these days and i think that you know that experience in many respects if you talk about what shaped me as a man i mean you know that was sort of the foundation that I had built in terms of different forms of escapism at an early age, mm-hmm. and I think if I think about what shaped me, I mean that was a, that was kind of a big part of it because that inevitably opened the door for me to hit rock bottom yeah and to to whether willingly or unwillingly really explore
1: things a little bit further so from the perspective of you know where you're at now, looking back, what are you aware that you were even escaping during that time? yeah.
0: You know, it's a good question. I was you know, a pretty sensitive, emotional dude and mm. still am one. And mm. I think we all are, right? I mean, we're all- I think, I think all men, yeah, are really you know? in, our,
1: in our core sensitive. We're beings, sensitive absolutely.
0: beings. And yeah. and I think for me, I perhaps am somewhat hypersensitive and uh, I guess somewhat empathic and can feel into things uh, on a pretty deep level. And I was often overwhelmed, I think, by just life and yeah, in very simple terms, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was my way of coping.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so what did rock bottom look like for you?
0: Well, you know, I think I had a few. And I I think, Mm. you know, when I think back on when I recognize that underneath all of the partying was a pretty sad individual. Mm. You know, there were a few times where I would hit really low levels of sadness and I sought out therapy and I would, uh, you know, seek out help. And at the same time, I really struggled for a long time, truly connecting to that element of self love and self forgiveness, and you know, accepting who I am and loving who I
1: am. At the time, were you? I'm assuming you were, but you know, were you in relationships with in intimate relationships at the time? I mean, and how would those go if you were
0: Fle- fleeting? You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think I had. I had dated, you know, I was a, a sort of a serial dater for a long time and I had, mm-hmm. and I hadn't gotten involved in a, in a few different relationships. I think when you met me, Brian, yeah. I was coming out of a relationship that I was in and out of for about three or four years. Yeah. And that was a pretty significant relationship in my life for many reasons. It, It taught me that I didn't really know how to be in relationship on, you know, kind of fun.
1: Yeah. And just, and you say coming out of relationship, just to be clear, what I experienced was a man who was just utterly, you know, I don't really like this word, but I'll just use it just broken. Yeah. And I'll say broken open. You were fucking cracked, man. I've never, I won't say never. It's rare that I've seen a man allow himself to cry. Yeah with the depth and the the fullness that you allowed yourself to cry, even just in those few first days that I got to spend some time with you. And and it was, it was amazing hmm. and heart-wrenching and beautiful all at the same time. So, you know, and I didn't really know, I just met you. So I didn't yeah. really know the depths of your experience with this woman, but I could tell that this just rocked you to your core.
0: Yeah. And I, and I appreciate that, Brian. I mean, you acknowledging me for that, Mm. you know, so we went up to this weekend together called the mankind project and it's a a men's retreat. And, you know, I was unraveling at the time. And, you know, we, we, I speak about this relationship with this woman and, you know, at the time my sadness, I attached it to her um, or associated with her, but she was actually just a trigger that was unraveling a lot of suppressed energies and emotions that, that just started to come out. And and that weekend was a big one because they um being surrounded by men and they really, you know, they really got at my core. And I um it was one of the, you know, more profound weekends of my life in retrospect, yeah, you know, but at yeah, the time, yeah. man, it was it was tough.
1: <laughs> well, I can relate to that. When I got out of the military, 26 years old, couldn't feel anything really, you know, couldn't yeah. laugh, couldn't cry. And I, as I traveled around the world, I I lived in France for a year and a half, and I married a woman in France. Oh, you did? I I married her. Yeah, dude, I married her. I married her five weeks after I met her.
0: Whoa.
1: Whoa. (laughs) And because I couldn't, it's like, I couldn't feel myself. I couldn't feel what a bad idea this was. My head was like, "Oh yeah, she's a doctor. She's cute. She's French. She's ambitious. Like she has direction." I was lost and aimless in the world. I didn't know what the hell to do with myself. And and she took a liking to me. So yeah, why not? I'm in. And might as well get married. Might as well get married. Get papers. You know, it kind of was a paperwork exercise. But I, one of the things I learned is you never marry your girlfriend for papers bad idea.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, I think, you know, there's probably people out there that have gone on a five week little bender with somebody, uh, you know, love bender and get married and it works out, you know, but as you said, like doing it uh, well, sure
1: numbers down, it it doesn't always work. Sure. Look for me, the, the, what the, yeah, it can totally work. There are people who wait five years to get married and it doesn't work. So, you know, there's no formula to that, but what was meaningful in this for me was that Eight months into this unfolding catastrophe, I had my first really, really, really good cry mm. because of just what we were experiencing, what I was experiencing. And it's like you you pointed out so beautifully, I wasn't crying over her. I mean, in retrospect, we were so not right for each other. We didn't yeah. even get each other's jokes. Don't ever marry someone when you don't get each other's jokes, is my suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tough road. Yeah. It broke me. The experience broke. It was like the beginning of the cracking of my armor. Yeah. And, you know, women have really played that role for me uh, perfectly over the years. So I just want to, you know, I think what you said is really, really meaningful for any of our listeners that are going through breakups or kind of having that experience of placing so much importance on a person that they pine for, longing for. And I think, you know, what you just said, same with my experience, like it's really, and I've had this multiple times where I realized it wasn't the person that I missed. It was, there was a lot of repressed sadness that I'd never felt. There was a, certainly a longing for a connection that I, that I missed, but I never felt connected with that person to begin with. Yeah. So anyway, I just want to emphasize that. Cause I think what he says is really, really, really important. I
0: had a mentor at the time and he's still a mentor and friend that when I would call him up and I'm going to leave the woman's name out of it, but I would call up and say, you know, I just need to talk to her. Cause I, uh, you know, I got to tell her that blah, blah, blah. And I need to, you know, kind of fix this uh-huh. or you know, whatever. Uh-huh. And, and, and he, <laughs> he would always respond to me yeah. in, in his uh, Texas slang. He would say, you know, this has nothing to do with her, my friend, mm. you know, and he would just hit me <laughs> with that it. each time. And I'd be like, I it. But, I, right. but it does. Right. You know, and now yeah. fast forward 10 years, or whatever it is and gone through some experiences in between that. It's very, very clear to me that it had nothing to do with her. Yeah. In some respects, everything, because she just, she helped me unravel,
1: you know? Yeah. I think that it's like, it's very, it is very paradoxical. It's not about her. And yet without her, it wouldn't have happened that way. Totally. You know, so I think that's, that's a theme that comes up in these conversations a lot in this podcast a lot, which I love is that it is very paradoxical. Yeah. You know, very paradoxical. It's like. In a lot of the relationship work that I do in my own damn relationship, it's like the more that I embrace what doesn't make sense that's unfolding between us, the better it goes. Yeah. Often. Yeah. It's very paradoxical.
0: It it is. And oftentimes it's about loosening that grip, you know, because the grip is oftentimes we grip onto the, the symptoms of the real issue, yeah. right? Because we, you know, or I will, I don't want to speak on behalf of everybody, but yeah. I will often yeah. grab onto the symptoms yeah, because that's what I believe to be true. However, right. speaking paradoxically, it's typically what's going on way underneath that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk more or really more to dive into what you've been through with your health Sure. Because I know that when I met you, that was another thing that just had been rocking your world for some time. And and I know this has been a really long journey for you. So so share with us, take us back to kind of the beginning of what happened for you. Sure.
0: Sure. I mean, I think where we just left off with this retreat is probably a good place to
1: start in many respects. I mean, so when was that retreat, Brian? That was 2000. 2014, I think in the fall. I could be wrong. I might have been spring. I don't remember, but 2014. Yeah. So maybe
0: I'll go back another year prior. So I I had moved down to Los Angeles in 2012. And after being in San Francisco, as I mentioned, for about 12 years, and I was working for a company in Manhattan Beach, and I came down here. They hired me to come on full-time. And then um, I was an independent contractor. And then I got down here, and about a month later, they fired me for reasons we don't necessarily need to get into. At the time, it was really difficult but you know again in retrospect one of the biggest gifts i had mm-hmm. so i was down here and i just moved down here and i was doing this sort of dance with this woman that i was that we were just referring to and down in la uh now not sure what i was going to do not feeling well just really unfeeling unsettled anxious i would go through bouts of depression and i just felt completely lost right and so The symptoms, as I talked about before, were like, I lost my job. I'm not sure what's going on with this woman. Mm -hmm. I'm in a new city. Lots of changes, what can be difficult, but not necessarily the reason for my emotional unrest. Mm -hmm. But I was pretty emotionally shook up. I would go into these bouts of depression, um, have these bouts of severe anxiety to the point where I was going on 60 mile bike rides just to try and ground myself or just to be able to to gather myself and be able to function in my day to day. Well, Mm -hmm. well, things got really, really bad for me, uh, where I didn't feel safe, you know, being by myself. And so it was in that moment where I called my, my parents and, you know, I'm pushing 40 years old at the time. So I wasn't a young buck and I'm not necessarily sure that matters, but you know, I'd had some life experiences and I, I hit rock bottom, you know, and I called my parents and I said, look, I don't think I can stay out here. I think I need to come back to Boston and, and regroup and be around family and, and get some support. So I moved back to Boston and I was there for for eight or nine months and and while I was there, you know, I would either sleep for 13, 14, 15 hours or just be incredibly anxious and unable to just reside in my own skin. Mm-hmm. You know, I sought out different support groups. I actually I was attending AA meetings for a while while I was there. They didn't really resonate for me, but in many respects, there was a reason for me being there. I I found community while I was there and I had a lot of support. I think, you know, facets of it were really good for me at the time. It just wasn't my, it it wasn't really necessarily my calling, you know, for Mm -hmm. a full time, sort of full blown effort. Mm -hmm. But I got involved with that and um, I was seeing therapists and really searching, seeking for some support, for some help it was during that time that I enrolled in the master's in spiritual psychology program at the university of Santa Monica here. So that was a two year program. And I was able to, they, they meet one, one weekend per month. So I was, I was commuting back and forth from Boston for about four or five months attending classes. And that was an incredibly supportive community for me. I think, you know, as I'm speaking out loud here, what I was really seeking was community. Mm -hmm. I was really seeking for folks, that I could say, I don't feel well, right? Mm-hmm. And I I, mm-hmm. I want people to know this because yeah. I really need help. Yeah. So I eventually moved back to LA uh, after about four or five months of, of commuting back and forth. When I moved back to LA, my struggles continued. I was struck with insomnia for about six months. I was still mo- you know, seeking support from therapists and I got put on medication for a while and that was real tricky i i I did that for about
1: two weeks and then i got off. like a antidepressant medication
0: yeah like antidepressants and you know anxiety meds and what have you and and it just wasn't working for me so i I got off of that i started working with a shaman one-on-one and we were doing a lot of sort of like shamanic healing journey work with each other and i was meeting with her on a weekly basis so I was diving deep on many levels. I was surrounding myself with community and, and I was feeling better and making progress and I still just didn't feel well. Yeah. After about three years of bouncing around and seeing all sorts of people and specialists, I decided to finally get some blood work, which I look back and go, why, you know, why wouldn't you do that from the onset? But for whatever reason,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it wasn't meant to be. I think I had to go through all that stuff to say, yeah. Yeah. let me get down to the fundamentals and get some blood work. Anyhow, got some blood work and found that my, um, you know, my blood levels were, were significantly off in certain areas. And it was at that time that I was, I was diagnosed after some other results with thyroid cancer. Mm. So, you know, the thyroid controls our hormone levels. It's sort of like the conductor in an orchestra, Mm. right? Mm. So, you know, in many respects, it gave me an opportunity to point at it and say, okay, see, this is what has been going on for me. Like, this is the reason why I've been a wreck for the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. And part of it is true from sort of a physical perspective, I guess, from an anatomical perspective. Mm -hmm. However, the spiritual psychology program that I was in, they didn't let me off that easy. Mm. They weren't encouraging me to just lean into the thyroid cancer diagnosis, but they were actually asking me to look at what does a thyroid cancer diagnosis, what does that represent for you?
1: Right. So rather than just, oh, okay, my body has thyroid cancer. It's a biological thing, right? Well, I guess we got to fix it, right. chemo it, cut the thyroid out, whatever you do. Right. Rather than that, right. it was through your schooling, it was, okay, there's a deeper wisdom available here. Yeah. Let's tap into that.
0: Yeah, let's tap into that. I mean, if if you can buy into the premise and the belief that underneath all disease is some sort of unresolved issue or some sort mm-hmm. of emotional disturbance, yeah, right? Yeah. There's an opportunity to dive in on a deeper level. And so that's what they were encouraging me
1: to do. I remember reading a book by a heart surgeon many, many years ago. Uh, fascinating book. I don't remember the name of it. I think he was talking about like heart transplants and, and different things, but anyway, the, the thing that stands out to me right now is is he shared uh, stories of how he would walk through the the ward where all the heart attack patients were. Mm. He would ask them, "Why do you think you had a heart attack?" Not one of them had a biological explanation, you know, wrapped up in, well, you know, plaque in my, this heart artery thing here and this fibrillation, I'm going to make up weird words, fibrillation, -fibrillation. (laughs) trifibulation. Not one of them said that. No, it was always... Well, you know, my, I haven't talked to my son in five years Mm. and the stress that that's caused me, I'm sure that drove me to, you know, it's my heart's been hurting or, you know, I, I lost a child or, you know, I've been stressed around, you know, money has been such an issue and I haven't been able to provide for my family or whatever it is. It was all sort of, you know, stress on the heart. Yeah. All of the stories, no one pointed to a biological reason as why they had a heart attack and and I, that never left me. I've always remembered that. That was profound for me to hear. So what you're saying, I'm curious. So then where did that, where did that questioning take you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love that example that you gave with the heart because that's the real deal, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're talking about my heart is broken, <laughs> you know, that thing is crumbling. And so I really uh, can really appreciate that because there's a lot of parallels there to kind of what I discovered when I started to go a little bit deeper. So, from a spiritual perspective, you know, a blockage or a tumor or the diagnosis of thyroid cancer, because your thyroid resides in your throat, hmm. right? Which is your whatever
1: chakra that is fifth throat chakra. I just know that. Yeah. Know. There we go. We'll call it the throat chakra. <laughs> well, this, this is the throat chakra.
0: That's <laughs> the all throat, we know. The throat is where you you access your voice, right? And you speak yeah. your truth. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know. Thyroid cancer is representative of not speaking my truth, being really hard on myself, not Mm -hmm. utilizing my voice, living in secrecy, Mm -hmm. and not being completely earnest and honest. And all of those things, to some degree, rang very true for me Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And so when I was encouraged to face those things, it was really, really difficult on some levels. And in in other levels, it was a huge relief. Mm they gave me permission not only to explore those parts of me that have been suppressed and hidden, but what was great about that school is they told me it's okay. Like yeah. it doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make me wrong for those things. It just yeah. is what it is. And now I have an opportunity to explore it further. And, and, you know, when I, 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 I go ahead, go ahead. Have a question.
1: Well, I, I just want to be mindful because I, I, you know, we get into this kind of conversation and, and, and I can hear people objecting and rightfully so that, you know, be okay. So because I had a disease and you're pointing at it right now, because I had a disease, it means it's my fault. Right. And that's not at all what I I'm standing for right now, or I'm suggesting, I think that's a, maybe a conversation, more of a philosophical exploration for another forum. Well,
0: I, I think that that was probably a judgment that I was holding against myself at the time. Yeah, okay. And so that's why I speak to it in that way. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to generalize, but I, you know, I've worked with enough people where oftentimes that is the case where yeah. these things happen and
1: we make ourselves wrong for it. Mm-hmm. And I think what I think I'm hearing you say is it's not that we have, again, it's sort of paradoxical. It's not that we have no role in, in whatever our body is going through, but it's also not our fault. Right. Kind of a paradoxical, it's like a co-creation of sorts.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't make us bad person. Right?
1: right. Right. Like, right,
0: yeah. you know, when, when I went through this and I've been an athlete my whole life. And so when I was struck with, you know, feeling horrible physically, emotionally, spiritually for a number of years, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I asked myself, what the fuck is wrong with me?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And mm-hmm. so being at the school, they sort of guided me to say in many respects, like nothing's wrong with you. That's the whole right. point here. Right? Right, right, Nothing's right. wrong with you. Right. This is opportunity mm-hmm. for you.
1: Yeah, I really like that. I think that's really, I'm reminded of um uh, another guest that I had, John Wineland, you know, his daughter, Claire Wineland. She was a public figure. She had cystic fibrosis. She died a year ago, I think mm-hmm. at like 21, 22 years old. And she was just a light in the world. And mm-hmm. she didn't have healthy, Lungs, I think, is what really ultimately caused her to die. And, you know, it was such a heartbreaking, you know, I'm on the outside kind of watching this unfold, and and it was such a heartbreaking experience. And she made the most of that experience, you know, from what I saw. And she really inspired so many people. And when there's so many examples of people who died well with an illness or a disease, and you know, there's that spiritual sort of pitfall or bypass that we're sort of we're talking to here that I think is really good that we're just calling it out. It's because yeah, every time I have an ache in my body, Sylvie always pulls out her phone and and goes, Google, what's the spiritual meaning of uh, <laughs> a wart on your pinky toe? Right. <laughs> every time. Right. And it's always interesting. I don't know. It's fun to play with, you know. I'm, I'm glad you said wart on your pinky toe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't
0: know where you were going with that. With you didn't know where I was going
1: with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's another another conversation. So yeah, but it's always what's the spiritual meaning of this particular pain or ailment or thing that you're going through. And it's, you know, I've cultivated a practice in my life of always looking for the gift in, in whatever happens.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to think that there's a fine line too. you know, I mean, so I try to bring some levity into my life these days, you know, because I think that you know, where it's really, really important to do the work and to to dive deeper into the emotional and spiritual realms mm-hmm. in terms of what's happening and what's manifesting in a physical form. I also think that at times it can be really just comforting to say, you know what? I have a ward on my toe. Yeah. And like, just kind of leave it at that. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. where it is, <laughs> right. it is important to take that spiritual yeah. journey. It can be really yeah. exhausting
1: too sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And counterproductive, let's just say. For sure. Just give it more energy than it deserves. Exactly. And is even helpful.
0: Yeah. And, and so I think that, you know, we have to be really selective
1: yeah. where we put that energy. Yeah.
0: And so, you know, there's no right or wrong way.
1: There's no right or wrong way. What, what changed for you? So you get this diagnosis. Now you're on this journey of healing, of So when you got the diagnosis, was it like, oh God, I could die? Or was it just, no, I'm going to live. I'm going to survive through this. It's going to suck. Like, what was the prognosis at that time?
0: Well, so one of the turning points was I was in school and I stood up in front of the class and I was crying, you know, just being witnessed by 150, 200 people that I had become my family. And I said, you know, I went to the doctors and they told me that I have thyroid cancer. And the teacher who had been teaching that program for 40 years looked at me straight in the eyes and said, you do not have thyroid cancer. You've been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Mm. Because when you claim that you have this thing, Mm. every cell in your body hears that and believes it to be true. Mm. When you are able to step away from it and say, I've been diagnosed with this, what you're doing essentially is you're creating separation from this thing that Mm. you've been diagnosed with, and you're actually creating space to heal. Right. And I think it was in, in that moment, something shifted for me. Mm. And I said, wow, you know, I really do have an opportunity to heal. Now, on, on the spectrum of cancer diagnoses, or whatever, yeah. whatever the plural is, yeah. thyroid is the most manageable, if you will. Someone, you know, one of the doctors said, you know, if you're going to get a cancer, this is the one you want to get. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. All right.
1: So feelings about that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I had a very clear path to recovery. Mm-hmm. I had some choices to make. And and one of them was to have my thyroid removed. And I ended up having two surgeries to do that. Mm. But I really believe that the starting point of my healing journey truly was in that moment at school, yeah. when the teacher looked at me and said, you know, you've been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Yeah. And that allowed me to create separation from it. And I take that, that message I use it pretty frequently
1: yeah.
0: where, you know, I, I feel like I'm constantly creating separation from these sorts of things so that I don't take it on to believe that whether it's an illness or whatever it is, that that's
1: part of who I am. Right, right. It's not part of your identity as a being.
0: Right, right. And, you know, and again, like, I think there's a really strong message in there that it's, you know, this, I don't know if you've ever heard the the saying results start at the tip of the tongue. Mm. Right. So when, when I start to say I have thyroid cancer and it rolls off my tongue, well, the results are that the cells are going to take that in and they're going to believe that to be true. And I'm going to yeah. feed into that as the end result. So really cool stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had a, a friend when I was managing music artists, uh, we connected with the touring guitarist for. Carol King, he was the touring guitarist for Carol King, and uh, we got to know him well. And he he was a really great friend and supportive of ours. And he had had throat cancer, mm. and he had survived it, overcome it. But he he um, I actually built a website for him. I don't think he ever did anything with it, but it was a lovingcancer.com. Mm. I don't know what's there now. I'm just giving an advertisement to whatever is there. I hope it's not some pharmaceutical company that's bought Loving Cancer. I don't think they would do that. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I wouldn't push anything past anyone. Uh, But I remember that like his whole, you know, he came through the Byron Katie School of Work and questioning our stressful thoughts and and doing that similar kind of work around language. And, you know, again, I've always... You know, our, our whole, there's this whole, the, the, the fight on drugs, the war on poverty, the, like we love going to war with shit and we never fix the problem really when we're at war. It's like, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And and so what you're pointing at here and some of the lessons I've learned along the way, thank God, not from my own illness experiences, but from people that I've been close to who've adopted that kind of embracing attitude and you know and I I guess I've practiced it in when I've broken up with somebody that's where I've really been devastated and really disciplined myself as hard as it was to get the gift from this like how yeah. is this serving me how can I how can I love this experience even though I fucking hate it yeah like how can I really embrace it and and be willing for it so that I can just get the lesson that it's here to to give me
0: yeah I'm really glad you brought that up uh, I'm really glad you brought that up, the, the whole perspective of going to war against these things. You know, mm. I, um, you know a couple of things happened to me after that. I, I started writing and I, I wrote an article, I think it was for the Huffington Post, and it was titled Dear Cancer, I Love You. Mm, wow. and, and part of it was telling the story of, you know, oftentimes the response that we get from people. And it was coming from a very like loving place, you know. Was mm-hmm. you got this? You can beat this, you know. Right. You're yeah, one of the toughest guys we know. You can fight this. Yeah, yeah. you know. And at, at the time, yeah. I was like, Dude, I'm fucking sick of fighting. <laughs> yeah, you know? I've been uh-huh. fighting for a long ass time. Yeah, I've been battling yeah. against myself, and I'm fucking tired of
1: it. Yeah, you know. Absolutely.
0: So I'm. I, I'm really glad you. And, and that was the underlying message from the school, which was now is an opportunity for you to dive deeper into the emotional body and really connect to that and give yourself a ton of love in the process, hmm. which for me was pretty unfamiliar. Right. You know, I, I wasn't- you don't teach that in Boston? You know, we didn't run through that in between basketball practice
1: that often. <laughs> no, no. Weird. Yeah. Weird.
0: Yeah, it's not a not a bean town <laughs> normally. I guess. You know, but
1: a part of that culture, huh? Mm.
0: Yeah. But you know, it was really a beautiful time for me. It was a major transition in my life.
1: I mean and now so you're now in in the midst of this journey with thyroid cancer, also going through this breakup with the relationship. And so, I mean, I guess the question that's kind of on my tongue here is like, what, and you've been talking to it in many ways, but I wanted to sort of really drill into it. Like, What would you say are the biggest lessons, like the biggest one or two lessons you learned from this period of your life, the illness, the breakup? Yeah, I mean, I think there's three
0: big ones that stick out for Mm -hmm. me. One is that the physical, emotional, and spiritual truly have to be in sync with one another. And for me, I have to put energy towards all of them. And when I do, and I feel
1: aligned like I do today, I feel great. Mm-hmm. So say that again, it's the physical, spiritual, and emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I was misaligned on all of them. Mm-hmm.
0: I was lucky to be introduced to a gentleman in Beverly Hills who does uh, sacral occipital chiropractic work, which is aligning a person's sacrum. And when your sacrum is in alignment, and your pelvic area is in alignment, and your occipital joint is here is in alignment, the fluid in your spine is able to to run freely and talk Mm. to one another. Mm. And my sacrum had been out probably for years, I wasn't sleeping, and so on and so forth. So when my sacrum got aligned, Mm. I was able to stabilize much easier on both the emotional and spiritual level. Mm -hmm. So where I was doing a lot of emotional and spiritual work, I was still misaligned physically. And it was just a struggle, right? Because I I, my body was out of sorts. So I, yeah. I would say the relationship between those three is one of the big lessons. Yeah, The second one is, is humor and playing and having fun mm-hmm. and not taking myself too seriously. Because mm-hmm. for years I was taking myself very, very seriously, right? I was sick. It was all about me. I was self-absorbed. And these are things I still have to co- you know, be cognizant of, aware of, but play and having fun and joking around and, bringing levity into situations for me is another big lesson because it keeps me feeling lighthearted and young at heart. Yeah. And, and I think the last one, the third one is really the big one, which is practicing self-compassion and self-love.
1: Yeah.
0: And that to this day still remains, you know, where I have to really stay yeah. diligent, Yeah, you know, because um, giving myself that compassion and love. So those are probably the three big lessons that came out of this
1: for me. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I'm so with you. You know, uh, that practice, this third one that you just spoke to the, you know, having compassion, self-love. And I really, I tie that up into also that that goes along with giving up the fight. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, man, it's been a fucking fight. I've been, I feel like the same, like a just, just making my way in the world as a man. Yeah. Trying to, to first survive and then hopefully somehow thrive. It's been like a Fight, like a dogfight for so much of my life. Even as I've done what I loved, I am so done fighting. It is exhausting, and I'm usually, arguably, always only fighting myself anyway. You know, my my mental projections, my stressful beliefs about myself and the world, and money and love and comfort and what I deserve and don't do all that shit—and it's one of my just most important practices these days. And I have to stay diligent and keep doing my inner work every day because I will beat the shit out of myself internally if I don't. Yeah.
0: You're probably pretty good at it. You probably had a lot of practice, you know, and and, practice. and so have I, and so have yeah. I, and, you know, and being an entrepreneur and, and being a self-starter and, and finding that yeah. motivation that comes with those pressures of, Succeeding and being a man and providing and rising to the top and all of these storylines that contribute into what can often be, you know, turning yourself into a punching bag.
1: And I've actually found that my most sort of successful moments where really big, beautiful things happened, professionally speaking, were in moments where I was really being kind to myself yeah, and really caught up in my joy and my enthusiasm for whatever I was doing, regardless of whether or not it was going to make me money.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, expectations are the root of all disappointment, Mm -hmm. right? So when we place expectations on ourselves, you know, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of disappointment. So the more that we, the people can drop these expectations. And as you said, like be compassionate with yourself and bring joy into the fold. Good shit's going to happen typically. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, Adam, I've really enjoyed this and we're not done yet. I want to ask you the, the million dollar question that I finished this segment of the interviews as conversations with, and then we'll finish up with the five key takeaways. Cool, man. The million dollar question. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing men today? And what wisdom would you offer in the face of it?
0: Oh, I, I would say the the biggest challenge is, is self love and compassion. What I just mentioned before. Mm. I mean, you know, as we collectively shift paradigms here into kind of a new era, if you will, the old paradigm of put your head down and get it done, right? Yeah, yeah. And regardless if you feel like shit or you're sad or you're angry, mm-hmm. A, don't admit it, right? right? And B, don't go deal with it, right? Like it's a suppress it, avoid it. Right. Now, this isn't to say that the old paradigm or the generations before us we're bad people or we're just constantly living in avoidance
1: or got it all wrong
0: or got it all wrong. There just wasn't um, sort of this, the heightened sense of awareness around the opportunity for men these days to actually take ownership for their emotions. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. And yet I've worked with a lot of men and having men give themselves compassion uh, still shows up pretty frequently as one of those things that is just, uncomfortable, difficult. Mm-hmm. There isn't a playbook for it, right? Like we're so solution driven. It's like, well, what do I do next? <laughs> you know, right. And it's, yeah. and it's, uh, you know, in many, right. in many cases, I find it to be somewhat of an epidemic. And, um, right. you know, I think that, uh, when men can stop in those moments and give themselves forgiveness and compassion, not only are they going to show up for themselves better, but they're going to show up for for the women in their lives from a much different place as well. Yeah. So it, it really is about being responsible right. for one's own emotions. And I believe that it often starts with the ability to give yourself compassion.
1: Yeah. For the women in our lives, for other men in our lives, for exactly. children in our lives, yes. for our communities. You know, Sylvie said to me early in our relationship, because this too has been, you know, giving myself compassion, making space for my own emotions. Is, it remains it remains a, in process for me. And she said something to me that was just, you know, brilliant. She said, you're never going to be able to embrace my emotions until you can embrace your own.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? That's
1: right. Yeah. 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 Awesome, man. Let's finish up with the five key takeaways finale. Cool. So you ready for this? Do it. All right, man, let's do it. Number one, key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer our listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? I'll go back to
0: what I talked about before, which is the physical, emotional, spiritual connection, mm. right? If you're feeling off physically, there's an opportunity to to get aligned, right? And and whatever that is for you, seek out the support and uh, take responsibility for it so that you can show up from a different place emotionally and spiritually and vice versa. If there's something going on emotionally and spiritually and you feel off, dive into it. You know, yeah. be willing to explore and, and stay curious. So I think that it's all an extension of curiosity. But I would say that that's probably the biggest thing for me is the connection between
1: those three things. Yeah. And I'd like to add also be willing to get help, get support. Yeah. I, it's hard to figure this shit out by ourselves, if not downright impossible. Yeah, it is. And, and
0: you and I have worked together in that capacity as well and like men's groups mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, like that's yep. so yep. important and supportive yeah. to, to keep those things. Working in sync with one another.
1: Yeah, awesome. Number two, key mentor. Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you'd recommend our listeners to learn more about. You know,
0: I, I want to speak to my mentor that I mentioned before. Where I don't know if there's a the lot. Texan? Yeah, I don't know if uh-huh. everyone has access to Dave Thomason. I don't believe they do, but I, I just he made such a huge impact in my life. Hmm. So I guess what I would say to that is that. There's always an opportunity for men to seek out a mentor, Mm. right? And I think that there are some great men that are doing really cool things in the world right now, and they may not be as accessible, you know? So, you know, my work with male mentors has been instrumental in the sense that uh, they just called me out on my shit, Yeah, you know? So I I just got to speak to Dave. I don't know how accessible he is, but Dave Thomason was a huge
1: influence for me. And he really came at a really opportune time. And I appreciate what you're pointing at too, because I work with two men, a therapist and a coach that, you know, I chose specifically, especially my therapist, an older man. Yeah. Because I wanted that influence in that role and I'm happy to pay him for it as well, you know, for that presence and what he helps me kind of work through again from the perspective of an older man who's been married for shit, 45 years. And, you know, and it's like, it's just so helpful yep. to get that, um, to get that perspective, get that perspective. And, and also to have it, you know, because I don't have that kind of relationship with uh, either my father or my stepfather. There's just, there's some trust issues there. Let's say I love both of those men, but I, I don't really look to them for wisdom that really will serve me in my life. I sure. like that. Sure. That's fair. And anyway, because they have an agenda. They're my dad. Let's just say they're both two of these guys. They're my dads. They have agendas. They have certain, and and it's nice to actually to interact with an older man on a regular ongoing basis who doesn't have an agenda.
0: There's an objective
1: lens that you can lean into. Exactly. Number three, key resource, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year.
0: You know, I'm a huge, huge basketball guy, as we talked about a little bit, Brian. And, you know, what I mentioned before is, Oftentimes when I dive into podcasts, I listen to a lot of basketball podcasts, you know, and Bill Simmons is probably my favorite podcaster. And I think that, um, you know, I've listened to him a lot over the last year. And again, what it does for me is it keeps me connected to the element of play and joy in my life Mm. and where I, I study, For my work that I do, you know, philosophy and and coaching and all of those things, I think when I think about what's had the most influence on me, I think it is that thing that continues to bring me back to the elements of play and joy
1: in my life. Yeah. And so I'll say the Bill Simmons podcast. I really appreciate what you're saying there because, you know, I know, I think among a lot of women and some men, and even there's a part of me that as I've grown, over the years has become could be a little judgy around sports. You know, oh that shit doesn't matter. The fucking Amazon is on fire and it's raining plastic in the Rockies. Sure. Like who cares who wins the Super Bowl this year? But I think what you're pointing at, I've been longing for more play in my life. Yep. Oh, you, know, you and I, you know, you and I are in a immense group that we meet occasionally. And you've seen, man, when I don't have play, I'm a I'm fucking miserable. I've seen it. <laughs> I have seen it. Yes. You've seen it. It's horrible and it feels yeah. horrible. And sports is one of the only domains that for a lot of men, we feel safe to play, to just play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I speak to this podcast in particular, because a lot of the things that he talks about is the business of basketball as well. And from uh-huh. being an entrepreneur it really supports me in that way as well. But to your point, it does. It keeps me connected to this thing that I love and brings me a lot of joy. And it can be really
1: superficial,
0: I guess, in a lot of ways, right? Like well, we
1: can take it too seriously. I yeah, think that's the yeah. pitfall. Like to go back to your earlier point, let's not take it so goddamn seriously. Cause right. who, really, who fucking does care who wins a Super Bowl? It doesn't fucking matter. But let's enjoy the drama of it. Cause it is fascinating and fun to sort of play it all out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I think for me it's like I like to just dip my toes in it, listen to a mm-hmm. podcast and then you know move on play and out. not make it like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know no. who I am.
1: All right. Number four, key investment in the last year, what's the best thing you spent money on under 10 grand? Uh, This is an easy one for me. There's no
0: doubt. Uh, It's surfboard. You know, I've been living near the water for quite some time. And and I think, you know, when I was sick and what have you, I would often go out to the water and watch people surf and feel like, oh, that looks cool. But I just was disconnected. Mm. And not feeling well and when i f- was able to get my body back in order and and really get aligned i'd say about a year a little less than a year ago i fully committed to it and now i go every day mm. and i am uh, fully fully hooked so i would oh, say man. like unequivocally
1: yeah.
0: it was purchasing a surfboard
1: lovely again come back to play
0: really. yeah man yep so important yeah it's so important even if it's for you know I've i've got a friend that's having a baby who I go surfing with, Mm -hmm. and we walked out the other day, he literally went in, he caught one wave, and he left because that's the amount of time he had. That one wave, that five minutes of play Mm. in the water, is critical for his well-being. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wonder if I can create waves on the pool in my backyard.
0: Hey, man, I believe in you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Thanks. (laughs) All right, last one. Key practice, please offer one practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for the next seven days.
0: Well, I think a practice of mine has been completely dedicating myself to doing work that I love to do. And I think that that has become a daily practice for me. So, you know, if there's a listener out there that's not necessarily in love with the work that they're doing at the time or, you know, they're in transition or whatever it is, I would say it's find something within your work for the next seven days that you can tap into that will bring you that sense of joy or bring you that sense of pride or will in some respects perhaps give
1: you a little bit of a glimpse into possibilities. I like that. So, if you you hate your job, but let's say you love doing TPS reports, yeah, man, who doesn't? Movie, <laughs> who doesn't love doing TPS reports? I
0: mean, right? I
1: wouldn't know what to do without T. I don't even know what TPS reports. It's a about. it's a, the movie reference. Office space. The guy oh, hates yeah. his job, and it's always about the TPS report. No one knows what the hell a TPS report is. <laughs> That's That's funny. Got, yeah, it's it's a funny movie. So, but I like that. That's a great suggestion. I think, and also, I'm I'm also reminded. I have a friend who um he's an incredibly, incredibly talented artist here in Los Angeles, actor, painter. He'll probably listen to this podcast. And, and I know that he drives for Uber and and not a big fan of it. Can't imagine why, you know, but one of the things that I know he, he really works hard to do is consistently his craft, whether it's, you know, he's acting in a play now, he's committing to painting for one hour a day consistently. I, I mean, it's, even as he's you know hustling in LA and trying to figure it out and put it all together and and make his life you know financially work and, and all of those things and pursuing his dreams he has to spend a lot of time just figuring out how to pay the bills yeah but he still works really hard to commit to finding the time to do what he loves and so i think what you're pointing out there cuz i know there's a lot of listeners that are not doing it you know, fucking five minutes. Find it, figure it out. Even if it's just researching on Google, maybe something that you would love. Like spend some time every day tapping into that part of you.
0: Yeah, and I and, and I couldn't agree more. And I, and I think the analogy that I just gave before of my buddy who go catches that one wave right. for five yeah. minutes is applicable here, yeah. right? It's like throughout your day, find that one wave, you know, yeah. that's going to connect, give you that rush or have you feel connected or or whatever it may be yeah.
1: Adam I know we we haven't talked about your work at all and and that's you know I didn't it's not wasn't the point of our conversation but I'd love just before we finish up just to share with our listeners you know where can they learn about what you're up to and and just give us a quick snapshot into the work that you do
0: Yeah So I, um, you know, I, I about five or six years ago, amidst some of the turmoil that I was immersed in, I started a coaching business and I, um, you know, it's grown to the point where I I predominantly do, um, you know, leadership and business coaching with a lot of business owners and senior level executives on a one-on-one basis. And we launched a group coaching program within organizations called the Art of Masterful Communication, which is an eight-week group coaching program. And is very much an extension of me opening up, you know, my throat and really accessing and mm-hmm. utilizing my voice. And, and mm-hmm. perhaps the irony of it is that I, from that whole experience, I've created a course and a program that is based on communication itself. Wow. So yeah. we run a, an eight-week group coaching program called The Art of Masterful Communication. And we're starting to work with companies on a global scale. And we have a lot of wonderful momentum with that program. So my website, adampiendis.com. Is a place where you can find me, and I put out a Wednesday newsletter uh, where I talk about a lot of the stuff we talked about today, and, and how to communicate more effectively and uh, within the workplace and both your personal life. And uh, so, you know, if people want to join me in the newsletter. That's probably a great, you know, great spot to find me. And you know, we're going to be launching some programs for individuals here as well on the horizon. So um, I'm just loving it. You know, I'm, I'm awesome. loving the work that I'm doing. And and to your point, Brian, like it hasn't been an easy road. It's been, yeah. you know, it's meandered and it's been pretty, you know, I do. some rough spots, Yeah, but uh, you know, it's we're, we're doing some cool stuff and, I,
1: and I'm loving the work. Awesome, my brother. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I know people are gonna get a lot out of it. So thank you for saying yes to this.
0: You got it, man. And thank you for the work you're doing. And, and I love you, brother. You know, I, you're a, you're a key member of my tribe. So thank
1: you. Thank you, man. Yeah. That's an honor, brother. Truly. From one East Coaster permanently residing on the West Coast to another.
0: Yeah. You
1: got it. <laughs> All right, man. All right, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to my dear friend and guest, Adam Piandis. Find Adam at adampiandes.com. It's Adam, A-D-A-M-P-I-A-N-D-E-S.com. Of course, that link and Adam's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way podcast. If you were served by this and think others should hear it too, please share this episode with them or just write a review so that you too can lead more men this way. And that is no joke. People will often decide whether to listen to a podcast based on the reviews. So please leave a review, and invite more men and many women into this experience. And of course, don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.